0: He performed hundreds of abortions. Now, he advocates for life. This is Dive Deep. From the Diocese of Springfield in Illinois, this is Dive Deep, where we dive deep into our Catholic faith. I am Andrew Hanson. Dr. Haywood Robinson grew up in Southern California. He received specialty training in family practice medicine in Los Angeles, Then he learned how to perform abortions in 1978, after Roe v. Wade was legal in the United States. During his residency training, Dr. Robinson met his wife and the two started performing abortions together. But then after hundreds of abortions performed, everything changed. Dr. Robinson joins us now to tell us about the truth of abortion, the biggest lies being told today and what ultimately happened to him from going from performing abortions to now advocating for life as the Director of Medical Affairs and Education for the 40 Days for Life Project, and he joins us here on Dive Deep. Dr. Robinson, thank you so much for coming on.
1: Oh, great to be here, Andrew, and being a part of your podcast today. Uh, I'm encouraged to continue to bring forth this message of life, which we both uh, find to be just a vision and a passion that uh, we're continuing to propagate. Thank you for having me on today.
0: And we're we're so welcome. We're so pleased to have you because we have done podcasts in the past where we've we've spoken to mothers who've who've had an abortion. So this is this is unique to get a doctor's perspective on someone who who has performed abortions and now has had the radical change. And now, as I said, you're advocating for life, participating in the Forty Days for Life project. So, uh, Doctor Robinson, I set everything up your background there, but. First things first, what made you even want to perform abortions? when you, when you're thinking back to your your time there in medical school and beginning uh, your time as a doctor, you know, what all of a sudden said, "You know what? Yeah, I, th- I think I think I'll perform abortions." Well, you know
1: that's an excellent question because it really doesn't quite work out that way. What the abortion mentality or philosophy, or however you want to look at it, has been successful, in its mindset, and that is making abortion seem as though it is medicine. So it wasn't like I decided, oh, I think I'll go see what abortion is like and go do an abortion today. Abortions were performed in the hospital that I trained in, in Martin Luther King, Charles R. Drew Hospital as part of quote unquote normal medical practice. A woman didn't want her baby, she could come to the hospital Uh, will first come to the GYN clinic and get scheduled to do an abortion. Now, I want to make clear that abortion is not something that was invented after Roe v. Wade in 1973. The Hippocratic Oath addresses uh, abortion very clearly, and it's more than 2,000 years old. Now, abortion is something, as I've said, that's been around a long time Uh, However, during the time of Hippocrates, it was felt that this should be something that physicians should not do. And it's very interesting that even though they had no technology, they they didn't have microscopes, didn't know embryology, but they knew that the pregnant state was something that should be held sacred and that life should be allowed to develop. I started doing abortions because I thought it was normal. Roe v. Wade was passed while I was a sophomore in undergrad. So when I went to medical school and and then on to residency, abortion was still a fairly new entity in the, uh, quote unquote, practice of medicine. But no, abortion is not medicine. Medicine is... uh, not quite a science it's more of an applied science which purpose is to comfort to heal and to make an individual better there is nothing about an abortion that improves the life of a woman it kills the baby and damages the mother uh, psychologically and many times physically so what the the enemy has done and we know the roots of this are really spiritual The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the devil has been successful in infiltrating medicine and convincing us that killing 3,000 babies a day is something that should be legal and sets women free and should be part of medicine.
0: Yeah, and and you mentioned Satan there because I think what you hit on is is really important because you hear these phrases, it's a safe procedure, it's health care. Now, of course, you were part of the abortion industry, so you know the truth. So what's it like performing an abortion, not only for you, but for the mother as well? When you think back, can you, can you describe your, your emotions, the, the physicalness of, of what you were doing, and, and really speak to the truth? Um, because you hear these phrases, ah, it's, you know, it's just health care, but it's not.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things, Andrew, that we're, we're taught, and that is you're, you're always calm, it's not about emotion; it's about s- staying collected and doing w- that procedure that's presented uh, before you. So, when I first saw, uh, uh, you know, my initial abortion, uh, watching the over the shoulder of another resident, I will say that, hmm, you know, there's something about this. That just makes me a little queasy. Maybe, uh, uh, you know, what is it about this that's just not quite right? Well, obviously, all of us have our, this conscience that God puts in us that lets us know when something, you know, just is not right. But we have to stay focused. We don't want to. We want to stay technically correct. And we wind up going through a procedure and not really thinking about the greater implications of what you've done. Don't you realize that you've just taken the life of a pre-born human being? And yes, you've taken it. You've done it for money. So what the enemy is able to do is is the same thing that he's done since he came on. Act 1, or or scene 1, Act 1, in the Bible, and that's he comes and he first starts with a deception. And if he can deceive you into thinking, well, you know, the woman is going to get an abortion anyway, and this is legal, and uh, you need to know how to do this procedure, you tend to fall for it. Now, here's what happens. You have this uh, progressive desensitization and dehumanization that happens not only in the doctor, the nurses, the entire healthcare team, where you no longer uh, consider that this is a human being that you're killing. Now, this desensitization and dehumanization um, is something that affects the doctor, affects, of, of course, the mother that's given up her baby. It's not normal for a woman to want to kill her child. It desensitizes the receptionist and everyone on this team that is uh, is coming together in conspiracy uh, to kill this child.
0: Sorry, are you almost saying in in those moments, um, you know, you you mentioned that the first time you you saw an abortion, you were like, mm, this doesn't seem right, but then as you performed them, you almost became numb to the reality of what's going on. So. When you performed an abortion and you saw baby body parts or, you know, you, 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 you knew there was a heartbeat in there with, with the child. I mean, when you pulled that baby out, would you just go, yeah, yeah, just another day at the office? Were you, were you that numb at that point? Or was even even when you saw baby body parts, was there still something inside of you that says, ah, this just still doesn't seem right?
1: Well, you tend to suppress that because you got to remember you're in an educational setting where your evaluation, et cetera, are look at how professional, quote unquote, professional you are, how you handle uh, situations like this. And if you were to act as the way you probably should act, then you're going to be possibly labeled uh, not professional, not being sensitive to the patient's um, needs, So you treat the abortion pretty much like you treat any other medical procedure. So once, you know, the enemy became successful into making it seem as though abortion is a normal part of medicine, it made it easier. But no, you can't change that gut feeling uh, that something is wrong in our medicine we have a saying about you see one, you do one, you teach one. And medicine is kind of like being discipled. So your older resident tell you know, you watch them do it and then they set you down and say, well, you do this, you do that. And then you, you, you are now uh, an accomplished person in a particular procedure. And that's just kind of the way it works. It's a, trickle down effect all the way from faculty all the way down to uh an intern who's just learning to do this for the first time but we totally ignore the humanity of the pre-born child but on the flip side we admit that if a woman has a spontaneous abortion or what we call a miscarriage we're supposed to handle that in a totally different way being sensitive, that there's been a loss in the family, uh, make sure they get counseling, uh, et cetera. But you can't have it both ways, Andrew. It's a baby no matter what. When a woman gets pregnant, uh, there goes into motion a multitude of neuroendocrine processes that make the woman a nurturer and make the woman loving. So when we talk about killing the child, that is so far uh, against and opposite of what their normal physiology is telling them
0: what to do. How much did money play a role in you performing abortions?
1: Well, inside the hospital, uh, you know, I'm, I have a salary. Uh, but once you, you know how to do the procedure, the abortion procedure, I could go out you know, my wife could go out, we'd go together sometimes, and we would uh, uh, do abortions. Now, I will say right off, I never enjoyed doing an abortion. I never talked to a doctor and said, "Whoa, boy, that was a fun abortion. Uh, abortions are done for the money. The fuel of, of the abortion industry is simply money. If money, if the variable, of money were removed from the abortion equation, we wouldn't be having this podcast because it's a very lucrative and easy business. You don't have to file insurance, it's cash. You never have to worry about patients being dissatisfied because once a woman has an abortion, they really don't even want to have anything to do with that facility anymore. And then there's the lie where the pro boards say, well, this is a choice between a doctor and a woman. Well, let me tell you, it's not. The doctor doesn't see the woman until right before the time of the abortion. These abortionists we have today basically are what we call itinerant or transient doctors. Like, for instance, here in Texas, they may be in Austin one day, and then they're in their car and they head off to Waco, which uh, might be 60-something miles away. And they they just move around to several different venues, making their cash, uh, doing abortions. There's one abortionist in Waco that refers to herself as the traveling abortionista.
0: Wow. Yeah, and, and you hit on one big lie right there about, you know, uh, this is a choice between my doctor and myself. What are some other big lies spoken today about those who support abortion and those in the abortion industry?
1: Well, <laughs> there's so many lies. We could, we could have a two- a two or three-day podcast covering <laughs> their lies because uh, you have to keep propping up. Uh, or making it seem like you've got a lie, a lie of the day, so to speak, because their lies tend to dissolve. Like, let's just say uh, 40 years ago, they said it was, oh, it's just a blob of tissue. Well, they stopped saying that because they recognized that we had, uh, you you, you may be a little young for it, but Life Magazine came out with these, uh, uh, photoscopy photos that were the, absolutely the most unbelievable things you, you, you'd you seen, color uh, photoscopy pictures inside of the uterus showing developing babies. And it was just kind of like, well, wait a second. This really is a baby inside here. And then we had uh, uh, technology uh, like ultrasound. You can get high-definition ultrasound And you can start looking at, hey, this kid kind of looks like Uncle Joe, you know? (laughs) So the the babies have become more humanized simply by technology. Right now, uh, and this recently happened in the last several months, where we had a 20-weeker survive in a neonatal intensive care unit and go home. That, I mean, that's uh, back in 1973, you know, that didn't happen. That's halfway through a pregnancy. We may get to the point to where we could take any pregnancy and maybe even continue it outside the womb. You see, so I think technology has helped and also just the growth in humanity of taking life, for ending life. So you, again, and I've mentioned this, you can't have it both ways. Uh, I think lots of the people in your audience are familiar with Scott Peterson, who is now on death row in California in San Quentin, and he's there for the murder, for two murders. One is the murder of his wife, and the other is the murder of his pre-born child. His wife was 20 something weeks pregnant. So we have laws that recognize a, a, a preborn child as human in certain instances, but then if you flip the coin, they all of a sudden are no longer human in, in a way, and it's uh, not something to laugh at. But if if Scott Peterson would have had a you know a license to um, you know to practice medicine, you know, it's possibly he he would only be convicted of of one murder and not the murder of his child, but we recognize the humanity when, uh, or even for that matter, in malpractice. If an obstetrician gives his patient, uh, the the mother, a drug that affects adversely the preborn child, that that doctor is held responsible for the injury of that child. If a doctor suspects that a woman is using crack or heroin by law, that doctor has to report that to the pr- appropriate local officials, state and county, because the state has an interest of, uh, of the child to not to become drug addicted or harmed. So we have this, uh, what we sometimes refer to as the abortion distortion, where we have it, we can't we try to have it both ways, but it just doesn't work that way.
0: Hmm. It's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things you mentioned there that, yeah, I mean, when, when you put it out there like that, it just doesn't make any sense. Now, you actually stopped performing abortions before you became a Christian. It was just a few years in, you were you performed abortions for a few years. So um I know we're going to get the next question. We're going to get into your conversion to Christianity, but but again, you stopped doing that before you became a Christian. What made you stop?
1: Well, actually, I stopped because my it was a community standard that they didn't do abortions in this town where we were
0: moving. So you felt you I, you almost felt pressure then.
1: Well, not really. It's the reality. I didn't need to do it. I I never went to medical school to do abortions. I just did it because I keep making myself a. And my wife could make a little extra money once I went into, you know, I just wanted to do regular medicine. Once I was going into family practice and my wife is doing regular obsession and gynecology, I had no uh, attraction or desire to do abortions. I just wanted to be a regular community doctor. And uh, if I had not, I didn't. The last thing I want to be known for is the first town abortionist. And then I become a pariah. Hmm.
0: Now, let's get into your conversion to Christianity, which, you know, again, happened shortly after you stopped performing abortions. Uh, tell us that story. What happened? How did God speak to you? And then, you know, when, when you did convert to Christianity, when you started to look back on your past of performing abortions, what went through your mind?
1: Well, kind of a, an atypical uh, situation. It wasn't dramatic. Like Saul going down Damascus Road and the Lord striking him down and making him blind. But I happened to be at a Christian music concert and the artist, who was Leon Petillo, said that he, he wasn't going to actually share the gospel or the three spiritual laws or this type of thing or preach a sermon. But he said he he wanted to ask those that wanted things to be 100% right with God to stand up. And I happened to suddenly just stand up. Generally, I'm not the type of person who's going to stand up when the artist says stand up or put your hands in the air and wave and all that kind of stuff. Uh, And he prayed. And then he went on to finish his concert. Now, I didn't know that something had happened, but God did something at that time. I knew that, uh, you know, once I got home, and once I got home, I knew that there was something that was different. Uh, I, I, I felt different inside, different spiritually. And what happened, it turned out to be the time close to the delivery of our, of our our baby child. And it so turned out, my roommate from medical school, Calvin Wheeler, whose daddy was a Pentecostal preacher, I shared with him what was going on. That, you know, I, I feel different. I don't know exactly what it is. Uh, this prayer, et cetera, et cetera. He's, you know, he starts to cry and, and basically shares the gospel with me on what was happening, what was, what was really happening. So it's kind of a, a weird kind of retrograde way I came about knowing, uh, coming to know Christ. But very soon after that, uh, I started attending the church where that concert was. And I remember, this would be maybe a couple of months after that concert, how the Lord pulled me and my wife to the side and said, you know, uh, it's time for us to talk about that past and abortion. And that's where he really revealed the magnitude of that particular sin now, I mean, there's, Obviously, abortion was the only sin I had been involved in, but the Lord really allowed us to see how contemptuous, uh, bold, uh, wrong a uh, uh, killing these pre-born children are. And then very soon uh, thereafter launched into the pro-life ministry. And for me, my first pro-life ministry were pregnancy resource centers.
0: You know, speaking of that pro-life ministry, that's something, as you mentioned, you're now deeply involved in. You are, are, are part of the 40 Days for Life. And for our diocese on March 7th, you were down in Granite City. Uh, you were the keynote speaker for the 40 Days for Life kickoff rally there right by the abortion facility. Um, so first off, thank you for making your, your trip to our diocese and, and, and speaking the truth. What was your message that March day when you were in Granite City? What was your message to the people?
1: Well, once I got over the cold <laughs> and I'm not used to being outside, the wind was blowing. It was in the low 30s, but I still spoke anyway. <laughs> it went well. You, you know, we have to remember uh, that facility. They call it hope, but it's really hopeless. And I know what it's like to work in a building like that where, just think about it, you know, Andrew, all they do is bring women in and hurt them. That's that's all they do. And they do late-term abortions. The place looks hard. It looks cold. Um, My message was thanking them for being a part of 40 Days for Life. 40 Days for Life started right here where I am right now in Bryan College Station, Texas. Planned Parenthood opened the facility here, and this was the facility that many of your audience knows about. Abby Johnson uh, was the director. She walked out after having a revelation about the sanctity of life and what abortion is. And after that, uh, the Planned Parenthood here closed down because 40 Days for Life, and again, it started right here. All It's a simple model, Andrew, standing in front of the facility, uh, fasting and praying. And it's very interesting that we as believers, when we do things that the Lord says we're supposed to do, like praying and fasting, we are sometimes surprised. When we get results, when we shouldn't be, Uh, uh, you know. God says, "Pray and fast." We do it. Oh, oh my goodness! There's fewer people coming to the facility. Oh, babies are being saved. Oh, Abby Johnson eleven. Wow! And then God's just shaking his head, going, "What do you think I told you to fast and pray for?" (laughs) Well, what we've seen now, we're we're almost uh, just below 700 prayer campaigns around the globe now, Andrew. We're in Central America, Mexico, Europe, Philippines, all around and it started right here in, in Central Texas. The other two things that we pray for other than babies being saved and a lot of people just turn around as soon as they see us praying out there or they get convicted while they're inside the facility. Well. People like Abby Johnson leave. They leave this business. uh, And sometimes the facilities close. So we've got to keep doing that. Uh, I think we should remind your listeners that this may indeed be the last campaign we have prior to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Now, if it's not overturned, we know what we're going to have to continue to do. But if it is overturned, that's going to be monumental. I mean, we're talking about a half a century, you know, where we've been killing innocent preborn children uh, in, in the United States uh, of America under the guise of it being a, a constitutional
0: liberty. What are you seeing right now, Dr. Robinson, on a positive front as we take on this battle?
1: Well, the biggest positive thing, Andrew, that I see, and I happen to be in D.C. Uh, the, the day that the Supreme Court heard the arguments from uh, the two parties in, in Mississippi in the Dodd case. The young people, the young people are pro-life, that the younger generation is pro-life, but the young people that are coming into the pro-life movement, we are guaranteed a multitude of energetic, lively human beings that regardless of whatever happens on the Supreme Court level, that we have got workers that are going to come into this. I remember there'd be times you go to a meeting or so and there'd be two or three others, and no one seems to be interested. That's not the case Uh, these days. The young people have come in and energized the pro-life movement. So it's the youth that I think are making the biggest difference.
0: And, uh, Dr. Robinson, we've seen some states talk about perhaps even allowing nurse practitioners to perform abortions. You mentioned down in Texas there's doctors who travel 60-plus miles to perform abortion. Is it fair to say that doctors? there's more and more doctors coming out of residency school who just say, I don't want to be a part of this? I mean, if doctors have to travel oh. so far and they're trying to get nurse practitioners, would that be another po- I mean, are you seeing that, that, that these young doctors are like, you know what, I don't want to do this?
1: Well, doctors, again, I spent more than 20 years on our medical school admissions committee here. Texas a and I have never heard an applicant say, wow, I want to go to medical school and be the best abortionist money can buy. I think that's what I really wanted to know. People are called into medicine to make people better, to heal them, to fight disease. There is nothing good about an abortion. It doesn't do anything to help physically or mentally a woman's uh, hell uh, what you see the uh, uh, organized OBGYn is doing all they can to try to stimulate interest and uh, in young doctors that are coming out of residency to be, go what well, they call it to go into reproductive medicine that's the other sign. That is from the devil whenever they label it the opposite of what it is <laughs> that's uh, that's that, that's always a giveaway so they' they're, they're working feverishly to bring in new fresh uh, abortions but when we look at the examples of what these older abortionists are like like uh, uh, Dr. Carhart, in, the, uh, in, in Bethesda, Maryland, who comes down every week for three days and does late-term abortions, you know, 30, 32, 34 weeks, that these people are not the type of person you'd even want your children uh, to be around. And the good news is, for those in the audience who know about Dr. Carhart, it appears in the last several weeks that he is no, this guy is in his 80s, is no longer coming to bethesda he would come to bethesda do the late term abortions and then go back to his home where i believe was somewhere in the midwest nebraska somewhere in there and do the earlier terms but apparently he's gone off the radar and that's something to be thankful for and if we stay tuned we'll get better confirmation that um that is or is not the case.
0: Mm. Now finally Dr. Robinson, I mean you've already talked about science it's pro it proves that life begins at the moment of conception but those in the pro-choice movement sometimes that, that just doesn't seem to resonate with them. So what's your message to those who just who still believe abortion is okay? If if you met someone on an elevator and said, "Yeah, I think abortion's okay." What would, what would be mm-hmm. your quick 30-second, you know, think think about this.
1: Mhm. Well, I just asked them, well, when do they think that their life began? Was it two weeks after conception? Was it a, a month after conception? Have them to consider their life uh, personally? There's nothing uh, you can't get around the simple fact that see, see you've got all of these images now. A picture or a video is worth more than a thousand words, right? So, you know, when you show a picture of a sperm meeting an egg, then you have one cell and then two and four, and know that in 40 weeks it differentiates and grows into a human being, that's just a scientific fact. You, you, you can't change that. You know, I have a friend that actually believes that the earth is flat, but anyone that understands the slightest bit about gravitation and, 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 mathematics and that time they know that that just doesn't work. There's not a model that they have scientifically, um, the, that explains why, uh, or if you do an abortion, it's not the killing of a human being. They don't have an explanation. They just don't want to agree with you.
0: Hmm. Well, we really appreciate you coming on and explaining, you know, what it's like from the other side and in your conversion so inspiring. A lot of good information, uh, Dr. Haywood Robinson. Dr. Robinson, thank you so much for coming on dive deep and and speaking the truth and for everything you're doing right now for the pro-life movement.
1: Well, thank you very much, Andrew, and may continue to prosper your ministry as you bring forth the culture of of life and God's gift to us.
0: Excellent. That is Dr. Haywood Robinson. Thank you so much for joining us here on Dive Deep. If you would like more podcasts, head over to dio.org slash podcast. And until next time, we'll see you right here on Dive Deep.